You're listening to Changemaker. Ideas on social impact. Lessons on life and business. Stories from people making a difference. I'm Jackie Biederman. On today's show, belonging. This seems like an abstract concept for business. But take a look at brands like Apple and Harley-Davidson, or ideas like ethical fashion and craft beer. These aren't just products or services. They're communities. These are spaces where people share similar interests and goals, and similar languages. People interested in ethical fashion may talk about greenwashing, and beer enthusiasts, the bitterness of tannins and hops. A change requires the support of a community. So today we'll hear ideas about building communities and places where people belong. Fifteen minutes. That's the typical amount of time for an appointment with a doctor or nurse, which really means there isn't much time to hear the whole story. I spoke with Katie Clark, a professor of transcultural nursing at Augsburg University, and she shared with me her experiences as a nurse. I think for me what happened is so many people were minimized to a diagnosis. So you have a person, you have they're in liver failure, they're waiting for a new liver. And so you might assume this guy, he drank a lot, he couldn't quit drinking, and he might be one of the people who somebody might label as abusing the system or living off of our Medicaid and Medicare systems and whatnot. So you kind of forget that there's a person behind that. So you might forget that maybe this guy was given up for adoption and lived in foster care his whole life and never had any sense of belonging, never felt unconditional love. So he couldn't develop to maybe be as responsible as other people think that he should be because he wasn't ever able to really feel that love and acceptance. We don't have the time to really dig into that, nor do we have the emphasis to do so when we're in the healthcare setting because everything is scripted and you're not able really to focus on who that person is, what is their story, and what would they want for their health outcomes. We all know how it feels to be unheard or misunderstood, and this feeling is amplified for marginalized communities. Immigrants might feel isolated by their culture or language. The poor may be viewed as taking advantage of the system. So here lies a major problem. We have healthcare providers that are constrained by time and bureaucracy, and patients who feel stereotyped and overlooked. Over 25 years ago, the Augsburg Central Health Commons was opened in downtown Minneapolis. This drop-in center was created to remove barriers to healthcare. People struggling with poverty and homelessness can come here to get basic needs like socks, shampoo, and diapers for their kids. And they also have an option of speaking with a nurse. Katie works with student nurses to run the health commons, and in this place, people have more time to learn about each other. Now, this is a great idea, a place to make connections and reduce stereotypes, but it isn't as easy as building something and hoping that people will come. Ultimately, people want to go to places where they feel welcome. Most places that people go when they're experiencing homelessness, you have to say why you need something or you have to show your ID or you have to show your medical card. And here 
there's none of that. You just simply ask and we will give you a pair of socks and you don't have to tell me why. We have these carts where we have all of our stuff. And I think most places would probably have the carts together and we would stand behind there so, so nobody could see what's actually in the carts and we could hand things out. But for us, that is seen as a barrier to hospitality. So we move the carts to the side, we sit down and everybody can see what's in there. And we hand them things and make eye contact and take our time and really try to get ourselves to be thinking about how can we be most present in this moment, in this time, because it might be the only time that this person has somebody take the time to make that connection today. So when you felt stereotyped by healthcare providers in the past, making a decision to speak with a nurse is a big step. It's a moment of vulnerability. While nurses are trained to assess and treat patients, Katie says the approach at the Health Commons is different. There are no patient charts, just conversations. And nurses are taught to listen first and let others lead. So then as people start sharing a lot of their story, our main focus with the students is saying, like, people are sharing their, their stories. You know, this is a very critical moment for them. So it's important to really acknowledge the strength in their story and also help them along their journey in this health process and help them figure out what they want for their health outcomes. Not what we think is most important, but what they want. There's lots of different ways that people can think about health. It's easy for us to say as a healthcare provider, like, you know, we just need to go get your medications filled. Well, they might not have money for a copay, even if it's $5. And they might not want to tell you that because it's, thinking about human dignity too. You need to respect that as well. This is a move from I'm helping you or I'm fixing your problem to let's work on this together. A community is a place of mutual benefit where people share stories and learn from each other. This is not a deficit model. This is trying to look at people through the lens of what is their strength. We have a guy who sleeps outside. I don't even know what his mental illness is, nor is that important when he's there, but I know he has one and he doesn't like to stay in shelter. So he figures out how to navigate in the world as it is, as far as he sleeps outside a lot of the times. And he figures out where he can go get something to eat. And he figures out how he can make do with what he has. And it's not a very human dignified way of thinking of somebody having to sleep outside to find a sense of peace with where they're at at this point in their life. But it's also something that he is in the midst of. It's part of his journey. So when he's telling me things of how he navigates, saying that is remarkable, that you can figure out where you can sleep and how you can sleep outside in this very cold weather and where you can find food and shower and other resources such as that. I mean, just the survival skills alone. In 2011, another Health Commons Center was built in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood of Minneapolis. Sometimes called Little Mogadishu, this neighborhood has become a hub for Somali immigrants. Along with some women from this community, local nurses had performed a research study asking them about their connections to the healthcare system. What actually came out of that study was that the women wanted a place that they could go free of charge with no time constraints to ask health-related questions. The women shared how they have struggled to belong. 
you know, the doctor doesn't understand my faith or the importance of the Quran, and that's what I would go to first if I'm having a health issue. Also, time constraints, so if I'm five minutes late, I might get canceled where I can wait for up to an hour to see the doctor. Also, you might have to wait a while to find out what your results are when in Somalia, the health practices where you would find out basically right away what the doctor thinks you should do. That being said, there's also the relationship piece. So the doctor would probably know your family and take their time with you where that isn't happening here. So you kind of get this confusion and mistrust and to really get through those layers to understand what's going on, you have to be able to have relationships with people so they know that if they really tell you the truth, like, hey, I haven't taken this medication, that they're not going to be in any sort of way judged or punished for not taking it. As Katie helped to launch this center, she found that it takes time to build relationships. That neighborhood has been researched a lot by outsiders, and a lot of times people leave and take the information they've learned, and then the community doesn't see much of an impact or changes made by what they shared. Maybe they got um, some sort of stipend for doing it, but not a lot of outcome. Mm-hmm. So when I came in as an outsider who was from a nearby college, people weren't too sure at first. Like, is she just coming in to do research and then she's leaving? Are they getting money for asking me these questions? So when we first started, it was literally showing up and being there, even if nobody else came for very long, but consistently showing up. So as people realize we're going to be there, um, one of the first things I learned how to say was, Gabar Adan, I'm a white girl, let's just get it out there. (laughs) So people laugh, and I think that making that just that connection, like, let's just talk about it, let's just get it out there. The health commons in Cedar Riverside has continued to transform with the local community taking the lead. There's services for massage, healing touch, exercise classes for women, there's swimming on Fridays, there's nutrition courses, there's gardening. I mean, there's a lot of different programs that again is made and created after express felt need. And sometimes people just need someone to listen. There's so much stress as far as people hold, they have their back hurts or, um, you know, they have other aches and pains. Is it? And as you talk to them more, all of a sudden it surfaces, well, I haven't heard from my family member in a while. And, you know, I heard that there was violence in this area or I wasn't able to get money home to my son like I was hoping to do. So the stress people are carrying with them on top of the fact that whatever post-traumatic stress they might be suffering from from the whole process of how they ended up in this country and then finding out that it is really hard here it's it's hard to find jobs people feel stigmatized against and when you go to the doctor they're not asking you what was it like to live in a refugee camp it's not something that most people can fit into their 15 minutes of assessment so I think people often feel very unheard and a lot of stress that they don't share a lot with others. In a traditional healthcare setting, the back pain may have been just treated with medication, and these stories would never have been shared. Katie has listened to many stories. She's built relationships where there was once bias, and she's learned a lot about herself. 
especially when she was faced with a difficult part of her past. A few years ago, one of the regular visitors to the Central Health Commons stopped showing up. Katie found out that he was arrested and charged as a sex offender. For me, being that when I was younger and when I was, you know, um, abused as a child sexually, I mean, that was something that was very hard for me and was painful. But I think that in my own self, I've realized that if I can't forgive and I can't heal, then I can't be a good nurse and I can't be as strong as a community member as I want to be. And so I think that what happened in my life was something that happened because of somebody in my own family who I love very much, but I know that I can't be the nurse for that person and it's okay for me to say that I can't care and be with that person, but I hope to God that somebody else can do that for him. So I can't be his nurse, but he needs a nurse. I can't be his pastor, but he needs a pastor. I think it has to, it all kind of goes back to that piece of belonging. If people don't feel like they can belong, and then oftentimes they can't really develop and move on in a very healthy manner. So right. we see that a lot. We see that a lot. And, you know, and we see it a lot in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood. You know, people moved here from Somalia and September 11th happened. And then there's just kind of been one thing after another and the newest thing is ISIS and then everybody judges you for um, some decisions of a few and but again some of those things come down to belonging if we had let those young men feel as though they had a place they belonged here they wouldn't be looking for places outside to find a family a find a sense of community so shame on us for not thinking about how we do that to people in our neighborhood. One of the best ways to build relationships and build communities is to have a conversation. There's some days where I take, where I have enough uh, volunteers or students and I can just sit and talk to somebody and not worry about interrupting that person because somebody else is waiting or things like that. And I love those moments when I can just sit there and somebody can tell me everything they want to tell me and ask me everything they want to ask me. And then I'll let them end the conversation when they're ready. Mm. And you kind of just see this shift in the person and a relax, relaxation. You see them sitting further back in the chair, maybe using language that's more, you know, informal. And you just sit there and you can see the person just kind of letting go a little bit and it's moments like that that you really feel like you're really connecting to somebody else's soul when you're really sitting and being able to hear what's happening especially when they're in moments where they're really struggling there's really a lot of suffering going on arab spring science tea party anti-bullying Black Lives Matter. A change requires the support of a community. And a community is where people belong. Animal rights, global citizen, feminist, indigenous people, disability rights. These are movements. 
people looking for change, banding together to support a common cause and make their voices heard. Charlie Rounds is an LGBT and human rights activist. He's fought passionately for equality and joined many movements. Charlie's found that when making a change, there are people who join early on. And then there's this big group. Something we call here in the U.S. the movable middle is identifying those people that don't have a strong opinion on an issue. So let's say it was gay marriage. There were people that were strongly for and people strongly against. Then there was this huge chunk in the middle and we call them the movable middle. They could go either for you or against you. It's how do you communicate with those people? So as you think about your idea, the change you want to make, there are people who are for it, those against it, and a group of people in the middle. Usually this is the biggest group. People in the middle may be friendly or neutral to the idea, but they aren't yet engaged. Some just need more information, and others want to join, but they don't know how. How have you communicated to the movable middle to make sure that they understand your perspective? You really have to use language effectively. And what I mean by that is you cannot use loaded words. So you can't go to somebody, let's go back to gay marriage and say, why do you hate gays? You know, why do you not want me to get married? How in the hell does it really affect you? Is we learned in gay marriage, we had constantly for decades been using marriage equality because we were talking to Americans saying, we should be equal to you. But if you ask the average American that is married to say, why did you get married? Nobody responds, I got married to be equal. Mm -hmm. So you ask, finally we learned, you ask people, well, why did you get married? Well, normally they come up with two words eventually, love, because I was in love. And you can always be in love with somebody and not get married. Marriage normally is showing your commitment to that relationship. Well, when we started using those words to people and say, you know, Mark and I have been together for 16 years. You know, I still leave the toothpaste out. (laughs) And and he doesn't really get the stuff off the plates before putting in the dishwasher. You start using examples that somebody would say, oh my God, yeah, no, my spouse does that. It drives me crazy. Well, how long have you been married? 25 years. Well, why? Because you know what? We are, we have this love and commitment. Well, so do Mark and I. And, and that's how you use non-confrontational language and you solicit from them of what's important to them on the issue. And by listening to that, then you say, well, you know what? That's important to me too. And in the end, if you give enough examples, people go, yeah, you know what? I see why you want to get married. Is it worthwhile, you know, the extremes? So there's the people for or against Is it worthwhile at all to focus any of your energy on people against? Um, That is an exceptional question, but I'm going to tell you it's always going to be limited by time and money Hmm. and where the issue's at. 
And so let's take, let's get away from gay marriage. Let's look at legalized marijuana, which is another issue that is accelerating hugely in this country, is you really have to look at the data. If there's 20% that just say never, never, and here's why, and then there's 65% that say, yeah, I don't know, it seems to be working in Colorado and Washington. You know, I, I never really considered it, but you know, I'm, I think I'm opposed to it. And then there's 15% that say, yeah, let's legalize it now. Well, if you're at 15% and you only need 36, you know, a little more than half of the 60, why would you ever go after the 20? Charlie has traveled to many other countries, teaching this concept for change. Last year in Prague, in fact, my husband Mark was with me. It was probably the best received training we got. They didn't, they'd never heard that term. And so it was identifying and defining it to them of what it was in Minnesota, and then say, okay, what's the movable middle in your countries? And we had this wonderful interactive session with just me writing like crazy on, <laughs> on these white sheets of who was against, who was for, and then who could be defined as the movable middle. Once you identify people in the middle, take time to understand their perspective, have conversations, and create a pathway for them to belong. Marketing is something that we all need to do to spread the word and get our messages out. And it can feel awkward and even pushy. What should you say? Who should you tell? And you're probably wondering, what does marketing have to do with belonging anyway? It turns out, a lot. Matt Scott is a digital storyteller for a company called Second Muse. He uses marketing to engage people in positive change. Matt learned about the power of marketing when he was in college. It was when his roommate had recently joined a group on campus, Students Against Sexual Assault. He was focused on making posters that promoted, you know, one of the key statistics, which was that one in four women on a college campus would be sexually assaulted. And now we'll see statistics that are sometimes that one in five will be sexually assaulted. But it's it's around that number, about um, between 22 and 25 percent, depending on the study. And so he was focused on promoting this like, statistic that, like, when I looked at it, I said to myself, this is an epidemic. Like this is one in four of the women that I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like this is my neighbors, literally the, the four girls who lived next door. This could be one of them. This could be a classmate or a bunch of classmates. And I didn't think it was okay that this was happening. Now, the part that struck me the most though was that people didn't seem to react or didn't seem to want to engage with the campaign and with the organization. It reminded me that my major marketing, you know, had some, had some role in kind of helping people change their minds and helping people change behavior. And so that was the first thing I became passionate about, you know, actually helping solve this problem of 
getting people to care about an issue that they should really, really care about. And so it started with students against sexual assault, but now, of course, it's expanded far beyond that. So after college, Matt continued to use marketing for good. One of his early projects was a campaign to curb underage drinking. This is a typical message pushed to high school and college students. Alcohol is unhealthy, it's unsafe, it's not a good choice to drink. But Matt took a different approach. My focus became, like, how do we actually appeal to college students? Because the request to say, alcohol is bad, don't drink. You know, while there are lots of organizations that feel that way, it's not the most effective way to get through to people. Right. It's like, um, I think I I recently heard about um, vegetables, like with your kids, to tell your kids that vegetables are really healthy, so you should eat them because they'll make your eyesight better and they're super healthy. That does not appeal to a kid. They don't that, care. That's the perfect analogy. And it's it's the same thing. Like you you have to think of your audience first. And so what the campaign became about, and the reason why we had such a like friendly name, Choose Your Vibe, was because it was all about letting people know what choices they had. It and it wasn't about the negative impacts of alcohol, but it was really about that the fact that there are so many other options in the world than, you know, drinking. Like, you could be happy and not drink. And that was the premise of the campaign. Creating a place for people to belong means knowing your audience. And it starts with thinking of your audience as people. So to give an example, um, if you have an organization that is focused on healthcare. Um, they might think of their audience as doctors, and that's great, but the reality is that doctors are people too, and your audience is full of people who are nuanced and who have so many um, so many things going on in their lives. So what I do is always start by thinking about the audience and how to appeal to those people first and foremost. The past couple of years, Matt's been involved with a campaign called Digital Learning Day. The purpose is to have a day for educators to share the innovative ways that tech can enhance the classroom. But before inviting people to join this day, Matt needed to find out what was important to them, what they cared about. Through the research I did on teachers, I really was focused on how are they having conversations and what are they talking about on social media. And one thing that I I absolutely loved is that with teachers, they have Twitter chats all the time. They have all these online groups and conversations. And so my role was just figuring out how do we join those to share the message of Digital Learning Day. So it starts with joining conversations and listening. And it sounds simple, but with millions of people on social media, what conversations should you join and who should you listen to? Who are the the influencers, quote unquote, that teachers are listening to? Like, who are the ones being featured in the education blogs? Um, Who are the top 50 educators? And so by looking at their pages and seeing what hashtags they were using, you know, I was able to then search those and then monitor the conversations. And then you go a little bit deeper and then you listen to like average people, like 
the the random teacher who might only have 40 followers on her social media page um, in the middle of like Nebraska. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you start listening and paying close attention and you start picking up on what people care about. And slowly, when you start to unroll that messaging that is a response to that, you'll you'll start to see what works and what doesn't. Because the great thing about digital tools as opposed to traditional marketing like billboards is that you get to actually track the change that's happening. You get to track how many eyes are on it, how many people saw this and said, wow, this is inspirational. Like, I want to share this. Matt created a space for teachers to belong. And in 2017, thousands of teachers and students across the U.S. participated in Digital Learning Day. Marketing is completely different than what I thought it was. It's not about pushing a message out. It's about hearing the conversations that are taking place, hearing what people actually care about, like listening closely and then actually responding to that. And, you know, I I think sometimes I, I struggle with explaining the work that that I do because I really think that listening is is at the core of it. And that's as simple as as it is like if you listen and then respond then i think you'll have a successful digital marketing campaign and you'll be able to use your your social media and your digital assets to reach your goals you can have the best solution to the world's biggest problem but it won't matter without the support of a community Listen to the people that you want to help, as individuals. Understand what's important to them. Use common language and create a place for people to belong. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about Katie, Charlie, or Matt, go to changemakerpodcast.com. Music is by Jazar, Broke for Free, Kevin McLeod, Josh Woodward, Sun Searcher, Josh Harlan, and Chris Zabriskie. If you like this episode, please tell one friend about our show. It would be awesome for more people to hear these stories. I'm Jackie Biederman, and you've been listening to Changemaker. Changemaker.